1: Uh, we're sitting here in the studio, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter, uh, Brian Robinson, Republican strategist, former communications director for Governor Nathan Deal. Before that, he worked on Capitol Hill. Uh, and Stacy Evans, uh, former Democratic uh, state representative and candidate for governor uh, in the primaries back in 2018. And Tamar Hallerman is in Washington, the Washington correspondent for AJC. Right, that said we're sitting here in the studio tomorrow. You couldn't be a part of this because we're just plugging you in right now. We were having such a great conversation. I looked up at the clock and it was like, oh my gosh, you, we're actually on the air in three seconds, <laughs> so welcome, everybody, to the conversation that's already been rolling uh, here in uh, Atlanta. Greg, uh, good to see you. We see your byline every day in the AJC. Multiple times a day. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and you uh, report for the Political Insider blog as well. How are you? I'm
2: great. If the conversation was so good off there, imagine what it would be like oh my the my god. Power it's just going to get to
1: be. And your colleague, Tamar Hallerman, in Washington— shutting down shop up there getting set to uh, come down to Atlanta. How are you tomorrow?
0: Good. Trying to shut down shop but also keep abreast of all these impeachment developments. Oh which yeah, will we, not stop. yeah,
1: we Yeah, <laughs> we we know you're far from uh, done with your work up there and we're going to be talking about that in just a minute. Stacey Evans, welcome. I'm glad you could be with us so again glad to today be here. as well. Um since uh, getting out of elective politics, at least temporarily, who knows what comes next? You're now a an attorney at Wargo French, right? Correct. And Brian Robinson, uh, just to clear, to make sure we're perfectly out front and everything, you do have at least one client in the upcoming election cycle, and that would be, well, uh, my firm is doing some work with Renee Underman, yeah. in the
3: seventh congressional district. Uh, but you know, I also do some work with the Georgia Senate Republican Caucus, and I am sure that as the Stage develops; there'll be more. Yeah, I imagine that's true. But that's not all that I do. You know, it's, politics is my, my avocation; is what I do for fun.
1: You do a lot of government affairs related communications work. work communications yeah. work. That's okay. right. Okay. Um, let me start tomorrow. Let me start with you actually, because we know tomorrow Nancy Pelosi is going to um, finally take a vote uh, asking the uh, Congress, the House, to authorize an official impeachment investigation, and the resolution, I believe Tamar, sets out terms for how the public portion of the debate will unfold, right?
0: Exactly. It gives a lot of discretion to the House Intelligence Committee, uh, the committee run by Adam Schiff, who's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, closed door hearings in a secure hearing room. It now authorizes a lot of that to go public, a lot of these depositions to be released to the public. She also separately released something kind of setting the stage for the House Judiciary Committee, where uh, Doug Collins from Gainesville is on, and, and they'll eventually kind of package all of any sort of articles of impeachment that may come forward and get it ready for the floor.
1: And um, how are in terms of the um, Georgia delegation? Do we presume that all of the Republicans in the delegation will automatically vote against this resolution?
0: Exactly. Uh, I've been talking to all nine of these uh, House Republicans all week, talking to folks, and no one seems particularly moved by this gesture from Nancy Pelosi to um, kind of formalize this, this inquiry. Uh, a lot of them have been joining their party leaders who had been requesting a, a vote fi- by the full House. They said that the investigation wasn't valid until that would happen. But, but even after this move, they say the whole process was tainted from the beginning. And any fruit that comes from that tree still is not, um, you know, is, is tainted because the origins were tainted, so they're all going to vote again. So,
1: so yeah, we're going to talk in a minute about how the Republicans are ch- sort of changing their messaging now that it's clear the investigation is going to uh, become public. But Greg, of course, all eyes, and I'm sure tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll be spending an enormous amount of time kind of watching Lucy mcbath and and just to set the stage for her and and what pressure she might. Under, if if there is any at all, um, we learned today that a Democrat in New Jersey, Ref, uh, J- Jeff Van Drew, has decided he's going to vote against the resolution. And he, we know of him that he very narrowly won his uh, seat against a Republican in 2018. So he's in a precarious position. And we also have seen a battleground state poll by the New York Times and Siena College today, which shows us that this is done between the 13th and the 16th of October, that in battleground states, Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina and Wisconsin, by a 52 to 44 percent margin, voters polled in those states oppose impeaching and removing (coughs) the president. But by the same margin, 52 to 44, they approve the impeachment investigation moving forward. All of that said, what kind of position, Greg, does this put Lucy McBath in?
2: Uh, she's in quite the bind. Um, we haven't seen too much polling numbers in Georgia. We saw a poll from the 6th District earlier this year put out by a conservative group that Lucy McBath's aides did not you know, dispute too much. We also saw a poll from NBC News last week. It was an online poll, though, that showed Georgians split right down the middle over impeachment. But the Sixth District has been had, was much more conservative until a few years ago. Um, she's, in, she's, she's taking a, a quite a nuanced position that Tamar can, can help elaborate on. But at first, she did not answer whether or not she supported the impeachment. She has since said she, she supports opening an impeachment inquiry, but still hasn't taken a very forceful stance on it. And meanwhile, she's getting battered by her Republican opponents. Karen Handel just put out a release a few minutes ago saying, Impeachment does not equal jobs and that socialists like Nancy Pelosi and Lucy McBath are continuing to put all their time and energy into taking down President Trump. So she's doing exactly what Karen Handel is doing, exactly what she did to John Ossoff, which is tying her opponent to Nancy Pelosi.
1: Tomorrow, before I bring in uh, uh, Stacey and Brian, are you getting any indication from Lucy McBath's office what she's thinking about the vote tomorrow?
0: They see this as an extension of a vote that she cast in the Judiciary Committee last month, way before we knew about the Ukrainian whistleblower complaint, um, anything like that. And that was when the, the Judiciary Committee, just based on information from the Robert Mueller's uh, Russia Um, report, they voted to kind of set the parameters for an impeachment inquiry. Mm -hmm. McBath folks see this as an extension of that. They think because Lucy supported that in committee, nothing changes now. Of course, you know, we've crossed a Rubicon since then. You know, policy has, you know, announced this publicly at the end of September, and now we've seen a a lot of the leaks that have come out of Intel. It's a much different, um, you know, state of where we were Mm -hmm. from even six weeks ago.
1: So, Stacey, um this is i think what nancy pelosi for some time hoped to forestall making her members vote on this resolution go on the record which is quite likely we can't read her mind why she didn't call for a vote of the full house to launch the inquiry that they're already in the middle of What do you think about where Lucy McBath comes down? It's interesting that Tamar says they see it as an extension of the vote she's already taken. But as she also points out, and I think this could go either way, it's now serious business. She's now her vote's going to be interpreted as a vote to put the president on trial, Mm -hmm. I think.
4: It, it, it's certainly a big deal. I expect that Lucy would likely vote, uh, as, as Tamar indicated, to, to allow it to go forward. And then the harder vote, the real hard vote, will be whether to impeach him or not. And I think uh, Lucy's a very thoughtful, methodical legislator. And I think she'll listen to the evidence as presented and, and make a make a vote based on the evidence, not based on, on politics Um I think she'll, she'll vote with her heart and her mind. But what she's doing is what her constituents really want. And Karen Handel can tweet that all she wants. But the truth is Lucy McBath is working. And Lucy McBath, a freshman in the minority party, um, well, in the minority against the president, And as far as the president's concerned, passed a bill to, um, to help veterans, uh, in, in a very nuanced issue that was hurting veterans when they were declaring for bankruptcy. Um, and that got that signed by the president. So Lucy's doing her job.
1: Brian, you know, I assume that you would imagine that this works to the favor of the republic, whoever the Republican is who ends up uh, uh, running against Lucy McBath. But that also presumes that this issue matters greatly to voters in the 6th District and in other parts of the of Georgia as well.
3: Yeah, well, you know, Lucy is using this to to fundraise, actually, which may be a bit counterintuitive, you know. Stacey just mentioned Karen tweeting about Lucy McBath voting with Shifty Shift. And, and Lucy responded by saying, hey, look at this extreme right-wing language. That's Lucy's words, not mine. And I only won by 1%. Please donate now so that we can beat Karen Handel again this year. So obviously she is either thinks it's a politically dangerous territory for her Or she's just going to cynically use it to to fundraise. Not that I'm against cynically using things to fundraise. That's that's all part of it. But obviously for people like her and this Democrat from New Jersey that you mentioned show that this is not an easy path for swing districts uh, members of either party. Because there could be some Republicans who are in a tough spot having to align with Trump where perhaps they have a better approval rating in their district than Trump does.
2: And the only real Republican who would have that problem is Rob Woodall, but he's yeah. Retired. But
1: he's,
3: yeah.
2: And let's not forget the, the pressure on Lucy from the other side. We talked about moderates and Republicans who are going to be energized maybe by her vote for impeachment, but also – democrats who are who are pining for this i was at a town hall uh, with lucy mcbath recently in sandy springs and if it wasn't the first question it was one of the first questions might have been the second question that came up was from a voter essentially imploring her to support impeachment and back then it was before uh, a lot of these new revelations to come out and it was kind of stalling but it has come up in every event i've seen lucy mcbath at that, that where she asked questions of the public there have been a, a very vocal contingent of Democrats who were who were even before all these new revelations that were begging her, urging her to take this stance.
1: So, what's her messaging going to be?
2: Good question. Um, you know, Republicans would say she's trying to she's trying to play at both sides by saying she's not forcefully she's not the there
1: yet to, to support she's still sending it. it to trial in the senate yeah but yeah. she's
2: still she's still sending fundraising notices out of it she's still she's still um trying to energize her own base by saying that she's she's you know supporting the inquiry
1: well yep. stacy i mean brian really said it um who isn't fundraising around the impeachment <laughs> yeah. on both sides of the aisle it, yeah. it's sort of unfair actually to single out lucy mcbath everybody on both sides is using it to raise funds
4: everybody's raising money on both sides of it and and remember there's there's the congressional office and there's the campaign office and the campaign office is going to always think about campaigns and right now that's playing to the base and building money um, Lucy's in the congressional office herself
1: so but let me go back to that question I asked Tamar Uh obviously you're in the middle of a uh, of a storm up there you're in the uh, in, in, in you know in the heart of impeachment uh, up there it but every poll we look at uh, tells us that American voters they put impeachment very low on the list of things that matter to them in the 2020 election cycle we we looked the other day at the PRRI uh, study which is like 3600 voters and I um, On the Democratic side, it it was health care that was the number one issue. On the Republican side, um, it was terrorism. Impeachment didn't even show up, although that poll was taken a little bit before, as you've pointed out, things really started getting very serious
0: things. I mean, first of all, I've heard a lot of Republicans I've talked to this week mention this over and over again. You know, uh, Democrats are spending so much time on impeachment that we're not spending any time on infrastructure, on defense spending, on transportation, you know, insert your your issue here. At the same time, from the Democratic side, as as Greg kind of alluded to uh, with McBath's town hall in Sandy Springs, you know, the Democratic base, this is something that that they've really wanted, even before a lot of this. Ukrainian revelations came to light. Um, So they're under an extreme amount of pressure, especially from the the candidates who are running for president, who are kind of setting the tone in this debate right now to move forward.
1: So, okay, let me, as long as you've got the ball, let me ask you one more question. Uh, The only Democrat, I've talked about this on the show before, and I always marvel about it. Uh, The one Democrat who is in a district that could create problems for him if he made the wrong decisions about a number of issues is Sanford Bishop. But but I assume Sanford Bishop down there in uh, southwest Georgia isn't worried at all about voting uh, for the impeachment to move forward, is he?
0: Exactly. I talked to him uh, last Thursday, and he mentioned, no, we need to move forward with this inquiry. It's the right thing to do to preserve our separation of powers. And he's a senior member of the Appropriations Mm -hmm. Committee. They're the ones who who dole out all the the federal funding, including foreign aid. And, And to him, Congress made a decision to give Ukraine a certain amount of money for foreign aid. And the fact that the president stepped in and allegedly um, you know, according to the whistleblower, tried to withhold it, you know, to, to Mr. Bishop is, is a huge, um, you know, crossing a line.
1: It's, he, you know, he. it's really amazing how he's held that seat for as long as he's, he has, He's Greg. a survivor, and
2: it's easy to take those stances that might not align with with, with a big sector of your, of your electorate if you don't have a, a well-funded Republican opponent.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. Brian Robinson, let me start with you on this one. So we know that Republicans for weeks now, the you know, this has become a cliche. Uh, they're not attacking the substance of what the Intelligence Committee is learning. They're attacking the process, saying this is being done in secret. We know we had that flash mob that went down to the skiff last week and tried to make a commotion to gain some publicity around it. So now I think... Two things happened. I think, number one, that flash mob maybe had some impact on Pelosi and Schiff getting together and saying, "Okay, we really better start thinking very seriously about getting this public fairly quickly. But on the other hand, by doing that, they take that issue away from Republicans. And yet Republicans are already finding a new way. It's the horse is already out of the barn. It's too late. They've already started an illegal process.
3: That's true. And I, I, you saw that directly from one of the House top Republican spokeswomen, uh, Liz Cheney out of Wyoming, um, that the, the process is already hopelessly corrupted by, by this process. But what you're seeing from the president, on the other hand, is quite a different tact. He is saying process arguments are fine. Go to the facts. The president feels very confident that there was no quid pro quo. He feels very comfortable that the facts, as they are, uh, are going to, that, there's a, that there is a pathway to defend his actions and he wants to see republicans stand with him he's he's implored them over twitter stand with me stand and fight and fa- fight on the facts he doesn't think he's done anything wrong and he wants them fighting on the, those grounds now i think part of the reason why you're seeing republicans go on the process is because a lot of them feel more comfortable doing that because they feel like this is clearly a problematic process that they had in place i think some are a little more iffy about getting into a live tv interview where they're going to get asked point by point are you okay with this line are you okay with this line that's that gets a lot more tricky i think the process is a much more clear shot
1: yes but they've had that issue taken away from them it's no longer about a uh, public hearing and once these these uh, uh, especially state department officials start coming forward in public testimony uh, the Republicans lose that issue, and then they do have to fight this thing on the basis of substance, right? And they better be ready
3: for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think we are now moving on to fighting it out on the on substance.
1: Stacey, you want to weigh in on that?
4: Well, f- first, this whole idea that this process was bad or or wrong from the beginning is is really silly. They're, we're working under Republican rules. I, I think about it as uh, what would a prosecutor do to get a case ready? Not even to go to the grand jury, which is in private, but to get the case ready to take to grand jury. That work is done in the office, in the field. It's not done in public. You you have to sit and do the work. That's what they're doing. They're also trying to make sure that these witnesses don't hear each other. That's generally a, a normal thing that happens in the law that you sequester witnesses so they don't match their stories. So they're doing the work of getting it ready. And then we're going to go into the public. So I think this was the plan all along. I don't think that um, Pelosi was responding to the silly pizza Chick-fil-A party or whatever that was, which, by the way, showed just how theatrical the Republicans were wanting to be because Jody Heiss was part of that party. And he was on the committee. He could have been in there the whole time. So he was interested in theatrics, but not going in and asking questions. And
1: I, I'm glad you said that, because I, what I should have said is not, not that it was the pizza party, as you described it itself, But nevertheless, the Republicans were scoring some points in talking over and over again about the secrecy of the process. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you?
4: I think to some extent, just because it's easy, it's one of those things you can, you know, put on a bumper sticker, so to speak. Um, But at the end of the day, the information is leaking out, Um, whether that's right or wrong, it is. It's leaking out. The information is not good good. (laughs) for the press, right? It's not good for Trump. and, 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 you know... My friend Brian here is talking about Trump's confident. He's he's going to defend this on the merits. Trump is confident about everything he says, whether it's the complete truth or a complete lie. So I don't think we can read much into his confidence. There's no substance behind his confidence. He's just giving blanket denials. And so far, I don't see any substantive uh, defense from any of his Republican friends. And they, they better come up with something.
2: And what we're also seeing that we usually see in the courtroom is a calculated effort to discredit witnesses, uh, whether it be calling them never Trumpers or um, or fake news or questioning their their credibility or their their motives. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're seeing a little bit of, of, of all this courtroom drama that those of us who have covered trials, now we're seeing it in a national political stage.
1: Uh, I want to, tomorrow. I want to ask you another question about this. But before I do, I really have to read you all something that Tom <laughs> Faust sent me a little while ago. Tom, where did this come from, this uh, quotation that I'm going to read? The Hill. Listen to this. Sometimes history repeats itself in bizarre coincidences. Consider the intersection of the expected House vote tomorrow to begin a public phase of impeachment. And what happened 46 years ago today, past and present, may portend the future. On October 30th, 1973, the House began the process to impeach President Nixon. The House Judiciary Committee voted along party lines to issue subpoenas and to organize staffers the very thing tomorrow that the House is going to do tomorrow. That is spooky. That
0: is One thing thing I I do want to mention before we we move on is, you know, I've been I've met with a couple of Republicans privately over the last 24 hours or so since Trump has really started hitting home. You know, let's move away from process. Let's focus more on substance. And I've been hearing two things from them as we've seen Democrats resolution that we're going to vote on tomorrow. The first is that they still are arguing on process. They're they're comparing it line by line to the resolutions that the House passed to impeach um, Richard Nixon. Nixon and Bill Clinton and trying to pick apart every single difference that's there and they contend that there's a lot um, the second is that at least a lot of these Republicans I'm talking to more conservative ones you know they're saying I have not seen anything that to me anyway rises to an impeachable offense you know they're not saying that the, what the president did was perfect or that they agree with everything but but to them um, nobody claims they've seen anything yet that, that warrants removal
1: all right um, I want to get it to a few other issues but before I do Tomorrow, we know that Doug Collins, uh, the ranking member of House Judiciary, has been a fierce defender of the president. When when the hearings when when they began talking about impeachment in the Judiciary Committee, uh, he was cut out of the action when it went over to Adam Schiff's uh, uh, committee. Um, who is going to step forward? I mean, it'll eventually get back to judiciary when, when they do, in fact, if they do, uh, decide to bring articles of impeachment. Who else in the Georgia delegation are we likely to see really play a significant role uh, maybe when this comes to a, when they bring this up on the floor tomorrow? Or is Doug Collins still the guy when it's the whole house looking at this?
0: people to look at. Jody Heiss, um, who, who uh, Stacey mentioned was the um, you know, only Georgian who was actually allowed in all of these closed-door hearings. Um, as a member of the Oversight Committee, we've seen him really take on an attack dog role. On, on social media, every single step of the way, you know, uh, very critical of what Adam Schiff has been doing in the Intelligence Committee. We've even seen Trump re- retweeting a lot of his, his uh, tweets over the last couple of days. Um, I'd also watch Hank Johnson. He's a top Democratic deputy on the House Judiciary Committee. It's possible we could see him potentially lead some sort of floor debate on this. Um, you know, of a, a former lawyer before he came to Capitol Hill. Um, and then there's also David Perdue once we get to the, the Senate. You know, he offered one of the most forceful defenses I've heard from a senator so far this week when he went on Fox News and told Brett Baer um, that there's a quote, no chance in hell that the Senate will vote to remove the president. And he said definitively that he sees nothing wrong um, from the president. And it doesn't sound like he will change his mind.
1: Brian, he not only went on Fox and made this forceful defense, he actually showed up at the World Series. He was standing mm-hmm. at President Trump's side when the president was introduced, when the big screen captured the image of Purdue and the president and Melania all standing there. And he was there when all the booing and lock him up chants began. <laughs> yes, he was. And that probably.
3: Uh, Just fine with him. It's still good politics for him. Back home with Republicans. Is it
1: still good politics for him? Yeah. Is is, is it? Greg? I mean, look, he's
3: he's surrounded by really smart political minds. And the fact that that is a strategy that they are following tells you that it's it's good politics for him. I mean, look, and uh, recently outside rating agencies who rate these races have moved Georgia into a safer Republican column for David Perdue. So outside experts think he's doing better than he was two months ago. Mm-hmm. So they haven't changed their strategy. They stuck with it, and his numbers have been solidifying. And this is within the context of you know recent poll numbers showing Governor Kemp with extremely
1: high yeah. approval rating. I, I think the Cook Report has it Leans Republican it was, in that it was originally race. Upgraded, yeah, it was right. upgraded, but yeah, Stacey, and that was
2: and that was after the fundraising numbers um, came out that were some, somewhat tepid for uh, for most of the Democratic opponents.
1: But Stacey, we've talked about this before, but there is no question that Purdue goes into the 2020 election uh, locked at the hip to President Trump. And we really don't know what the president's fate is going to be in the months ahead. Whether he is impeached and convicted is one thing, but but these, this impeachment process could reveal things about him that are really going to send his approval ratings south. They're not very good right now in many polls, including Fox News' own poll.
4: Agreed. We, we don't really know where this is going to take us, but I'll say this. Right now... Tying yourself to Trump if you're Purdue, it, it's smart because right now the only people that are paying attention are the the rabid fans. And it's going to raise you money. And right now it's a fundraising game. It, as much as we all would like to think that everybody's paying attention as much now as they will be next summer and after Labor Day and heading into the fall, they're just not. And so if, if Purdue decides that it's politically to his advantage to move away from Trump at some point, it seems crazy to think to us that he could do that. But he absolutely can, and wow. he will if he needs to.
2: It would be shocking to see that, though. Yeah, because sure would. Someone for the last, you know, three four years has has been ever since he endorsed Purdue at the Georgia GOP convention, uh, it, putting that Jean jacket on and putting the Donald Trump cap on. He has been, I think,
3: the word was lockstep. He has been tied to the hip with with Trump. And and, and and look, it's paid off. I mean, the. That relationship is a large part of why we finally got the federal money to deepen the port of Savannah. I mean, David Perdue has entree into the. We ought,
1: to, we ought to include Johnny Isaacson in in that picture too. And,
3: Johnny's worked, worked for for a, for a lot of years. I give him a lot of credit for that too, but that relationship okay. was a huge part of how it happened.
1: I got to get to a break before I get to a break, Greg. I do want to w- ask you one last question on impeachment. We were on the air on Monday when you sent us a text that had a link to a tweet from Attorney General Chris Carr. And in that tweet, Chris Carr said, he stands with uh, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell. He stands with David Perdue. He stands with all of those folks who uh, uh, wanted that resolution condemning uh, the impeachment process uh, to pass. Why did Chris Carr do that as attorney general of Georgia? He certainly—the the governor hasn't stepped into this fight. Uh governor kind of has. He, has he? The governor has said— Okay, that, then I've missed it. Yeah,
2: the governor said in Athens um, not that long ago that Democrats are wasting okay. their time and distracting. But— He's the state's top law enforcement office officer. I think he waited for his old boss, who uh, was the former top aide to Senator Isaacson. Once his old boss kind of took his made his stance known on impeachment, you saw um, not to say that they're in lockstep, but they generally have the same political philosophy. You saw Chris Carr take this stance and also remember, he hasn't applied for. Well, that US was the Senate's, question. Um, yeah. Yet. He might not do it. He's not actively lobbying for it. I believe everyone who tells me that. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it does signal to Kemp if, if he's still somewhere in the, on the radar that this is someone who would be forcefully on the president's side on this. issue. All
1: right. Well, I thank you for mentioning the Senate race, because that's what we want to take up next uh, after we get to our first break of the show. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Political Rewind.
3: You've been thinking about helping this station with a donation. Why not donate that extra car, truck, or RV you no longer need? It's easy. Pickup is free. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. And you could even get a tax deduction. Get the process started today. Give us a call to learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. And thanks very much for your support. Call
0: 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars.
3: Hunter Biden's work with a Ukrainian energy company is part of a long history of the relatives of famous politicians seeking to cash in on connections. Very often there's nothing wrong. Nothing is actually done that's illegal, but that's different than does it become a scandal. It looks bad. Money, family and politics this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR
1: News. It's 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org or ask your smart speaker to play GPB. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. We have a great panel today in Washington, Tamar Hallerman, the Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, at least until she can free herself up from covering the impeachment, which who knows how long is going to go on, and comes down to Atlanta where she's taking on a new assignment. Uh, we have Stacy Evans, former Democratic state <coughs> representative and candidate for governor, Brian Robinson, Republican strategist and Communication specialist working on many things aside from politics. Absolutely. Uh, is with us. So is Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter. Greg, uh, you filed a really interesting piece the other day, which ba- we, we've of course, know that Senate race number one, the David Perdue race, has attracted so far a number of candidates on the Democratic side. We've talked about them, we've had them on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, Senate race number two is kind of it's kind of stalled it's kind of it's kind of frozen in place David uh, um, uh, I'm sorry Matt Lieberman is the one Democrat who said he wants uh, that seat but we don't have any other people and he's Kemp not the in. party's pick no he's not the party's pick he's he okay but he's so he's the one guy who's neither was out ne- there. Neither, neither was his dad and uh yeah, and he yeah. ended up getting yeah. reelected. Yeah. good point yeah okay and, and we're so no Democrats yet and we're waiting for Governor Kemp to make a move in terms of who he wants to appoint to the Isaacson seat by the end of the year. It's a little odd that this thing is so quiet right now. Yeah,
2: it's about a year away from the election. We've got we it's been about 11 or so weeks since Senator Isaacson said he was going to step down at the end of the year. Um a lot of Republicans thought it would take 3 or 4 weeks, but not necessarily 3 or 3 or 4 months. Um they're grumbling, you know, not on the record, but behind the scenes that you're losing on valuable fundraising time, you're losing an organizational time. Um, at the same time, you've also put Democrats in a little bind, too, because a lot of Democrats are saying, talking about maybe that the, the party and maybe that whoever in, ends up being the party's pick is waiting to see who best matches up with whoever Governor Kemp picks. And meanwhile, you've got two massive developments happening in the next couple of weeks here. You've got President Trump coming in a week. Um, so there's a lot of talk about maybe Kemp was timing his appointment to that. I don't, necessarily believe that it might take a little longer is what i'm hearing um and secondly you've got the democratic debate and i do think the democrats will end up having their candidate before the debate um which is november 20th so it's a little more lead time so two massive developments coming and all eyes on georgia
3: for both of them
1: absolutely stacy evans how do you look at that at the democrats uh not you know nobody's stepping up at this point and we ask this of anybody who's prominent in party politics might you still think about entering this race?
4: The Senate race, no. Yes. I'm okay. good. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, but I, I think, I think honestly, what's happening right now is you're seeing Democrats be very smart with regard to the Isaacson seat. They want to spend a lot of time, not only are um, national party organizations and donors having conversations with candidates, potential candidates, but potential candidates are having conversations with each other, trying to really work to a consensus in a place where everybody can support each other. Matt Lieberman is, a, is obviously an outlier on that, but but whoever ends up getting the national thumbs up will will leave him in their dust. Uh, as somebody who was on the other side of a national avalanche of money, I can tell yeah. you it's not worth fighting like that it, once you know it's coming, and, and we know that. I thought there would be no way that the Democrats could wait until after Kemp picked, just because Kemp could wait till December 31st if he wanted to. Yeah. Um but now I think they might be able to. I mean, we're already almost in November. The money's going to come for both of these candidates, whoever they are, whenever they announce. I don't think that the month of December, with holidays, is going to be a crucial fundraising um, month. So you might actually see um, the Democrats wait for Kemp, and Kemp's the only one that has a a timeline because of um, Johnny Isaacson's uh, resignation. But of course, he could hold over too. It's going to be a giant game of chicken, I suspect.
3: Brian, well. Several things. One, the thing about the Trump uh, rally, lunch, fundraiser that they have is the, the one risk that Kemp runs is Trump using that platform, if there's been no decision, to weigh in, right? Okay. I mean, talk about just a rumble through the Georgia <laughs> political point. world. Uh, so that, that's a risk that, that he runs at, at this juncture, but I mean, look, Governor Kemp's got his own timeline. He, he knows what he's doing, and he, he's standing by his process. One reason why you're not seeing a Democrat jump into this race is in the Senate race number one, you have an all-white cast, which is not going to cut it in Democratic politics in Georgia today. We have a majority-minority Democratic primary, and we also happen to be a state with very high profile, very experienced African-American and even Latino now leaders who could Theoretically run for this office. So I think there's going to be some waiting to see if there's a minority candidate that emerges. But why would they line up against that incumbent who's well-funded and not the other one? Because the other one is a special election, not a general election. That means there'll be multiple candidates in it that will almost certainly send it into a runoff in January of 2021. Yeah. And that, is, that puts the Democrat at a distinct disadvantage because Republican voters are much more likely to show up that first week of January and vote. And they know that. They they, they know strategically that that's a hurdle for them.
2: And history shows it, right? I mean, Republicans have dominated those special elections, whether yeah. they be in December or January or whenever. Um, the
3: Cycle was raised in 08.
2: Yeah, Joe Jim,
4: yeah, Jim was about to say Jim Martin, Jim Martin, who was ahead going into that runoff and then— did not do well. Mm-hmm. White
1: Fowler and Paul Coverdale. white Fowler even had the president of the United States, the, uh, the incoming president at the time, Bill Clinton, president-elect, come down to Macon and 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 uh, hold a big rally for him. And Coverdale still beat him. And last year, you saw Democratic enthusiasm
2: tape, taper off for the for the two runoffs, statewide runoffs in the in yeah. last year's election too. I want to riff on something that Brian said earlier too: the the possibility that Trump might you know, betray how he feels about the Senate contest. And one of the things I tucked into the story that you were mentioning was um, the Donald Trump Jr. came to Doug Collins, representative Doug Collins' district last week. And um, it was a closed press. I I sure tried to get in there, but it was closed press. But two or three people who were there told me what what Donald Trump Jr. said. And he said, we need a fighter like Doug Collins in the Senate. So that shows you that doesn't mean that he is Kemp's top pick or anything like that. But it does show you how. The the, the, the Trump family feels about Doug Collins?
1: Um, It's, I just, it, 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 though, Greg, is it, could a Democrat, just hypothetically, if there were a strong Democrat who uh, knew she or he wanted into this race, is there a missed opportunity not to jump into race number two now and begin your messaging? start going out and cultivating donors or you know stacy says the money will come no matter what so there's no from your point of view do you agree with basically everything she said i
2: think the money will come next year no matter what but this year you've seen in, in the other senate race yeah. how hard it has been for some of the candidates to raise substantial amounts of money um and and, and as stacy as, as the campaign last year with both stacy evans and Stacey abrams in the gubernatorial race showed that early start matters. Yeah. You know, get Both yeah. of you guys yeah. got in.
4: What? We got in about the same time, yeah,
1: in April, May of 17. May. Tomorrow, let me jump, get you in here to, to piggyback off something Brian just said that's interesting. Um, we have a majority-minority Democratic electorate here in Georgia. We've got a Democratic debate that's going to be held on November 20th at Tyler Perry's studio mm-hmm. in southwest Atlanta. It's a success story for an African American. Sound stages all named for African American. If Tamar, if some of your friends in the Washington Press Corps are heading down here for that debate, it seems to me one of the most natural stories in the world to write would be here we are in the African American Mecca of the United States and there are no black candidates yeah. in the Senate race, right, Tamar?
0: And not only that, but you look at some of the top um, people in the polls in the presidential level, and a lot of the the non-white candidates are having a hard time reaching those upper thresholds. The only one who, you know, is is higher up there is Kamala Harris, and she seems to, you know, be far down below Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg. Um, So it's
1: a really stark Uh, picture that's that's being painted. We just got some sound uh, (laughs) in the studio. Go ahead, finish uh, it tomorrow. and,
0: And one other point I wanted to make, um, yeah, and something to, to think about as they make, an, as Brian Kent makes an appointment for the Senate seat, is it's looking more and more like this impeachment is going to stretch into, or this impeachment inquiry anyway, is going to stretch into the new year. Um, So it's very possible that in the House they're not going to take an impeachment vote until well into December. That means that one of the first votes that a Kemp appointee could be taking in the Senate could be on an impeachment um, matter. So something to keep in mind, especially if they're going to have to run again in a runoff.
1: Yeah, but it also could mean, and the only person who has endorsed my thinking on this, Greg Bluestein, is Sam Ohlins, that a a President Trump does not want one of his fiercest defenders, Doug Collins— leaving uh the house to go off into the senate when he might need him to defend him in the impeachment hearings
2: and and I I, I get that, but also if there wasn't a group of other fierce defenders yeah. lining up already, jockeying as Tamar knows, because he's heard it all, the scuttlebutt in Washington, but there's all these people already trying to position themselves for, for Doug Collins' seat who are kind of just as strong as yeah. he is all on the right. issue.
4: Want it'll to be, be I, mostly over by then, I think, as well.
1: You might be. Yeah. Did you want to get a point in, Brian, before we move yeah, on?
4: Yeah, on fundraising, the thing.
3: To Stacey's point, the fundraising will come, but it will come through super PACs. And candidates mm-hmm. need to have their own campaign, too. And on federal races, it's hard dollars with very small limits. And so, it, was it 2300 2800 somewhere seven, in there? Yeah. Um, I, I should know that. But it's much harder to get up to the $2, three million, five, 3000000 $5, 10000000 million mark than it is in a governor's race where you can take... At close to seven thousand dollars per individual, and then money also from corporations and LLCs. You cannot do that on the federal right. level, so it's much harder. And so your new senator, whoever it's going to be, is going to be doing eight hours a day while they're trying to put together their Senate office and 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 start, learn to be a senator. The fundraising is going to be an overwhelming responsibility in those first uh, r- r- well for the next three years, really.
1: Okay, well lots to talk about (laughs) job security yeah uh greg um we learned from the secretary of state's office the other day that they are uh looking at purging something like 330,000 people from the voter rolls here in the state and uh it raises this you know we're going to see the same kind of rhetoric on both sides of this issues that we saw uh after the voter purge before the 2018 election Democrats are going to say it's voter suppression. Republicans are going to say, no, it's voter security. It's ballot security. It's preventing fraud, whatever, whatever.
2: Yeah, one man's voter cleanup is another person's denial to the right to vote. Disappearance. Um, And you're seeing that play out even in the presidential campaign right now. uh, Senator Kamala Harris just tweeted out uh, uh, the AJC story that my colleague Mark Mark Nisi wrote about this, saying that had this not happened, Stacey Abrams would be the governor now. And you're seeing Republicans push back strongly on that. So uh, remember, this is an issue that... Oh,
3: happily push back strongly on that.
2: (laughs) So this is an issue that shaped last year's governor's race, and surely it will come up in the debate next month, and surely it's already being a a factor in the presidential race.
1: Okay, before... Rather than argue about on the facts of that, Brian, which I'll give you a chance to do in a minute, I do want to raise one question about this. Am I not correct, Greg, that some of the legislation that the, that the legislature passed in the last session after the 2018 election does offer more protections than what people had previously?
2: There are now more notification requirements. If you are taken off the rolls, you get, you get, a, uh, you, you get more uh, notice about
1: that. Stacey, does that does that neutralize this as a problem, or is it still a problem?
4: Overall, this is it's not good, um, but I also want to be clear that it's largely not moving the needle on election results. I mean, a lot of the folks that get taken off are um, when folks that go through the rolls compare... To the people that have died, or or check the change of address, and somebody might might have moved out of state out of state. But there there are a lot of mistakes that are made, and, and some people do get removed that are not supposed to get removed. But it's 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 smaller. Um, but I really question why do we really need this? No one's ever really made that case. And and given how controversial it is politically, uh, and there's talking points on both sides, and all the money that's involved in it i think it's 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 causing more harm than it could potentially cause good by keeping the voter rows quote unquote clean or or scrubbed um. And, and does it really matter? I mean, the only people that spend more money when there's more people on a voting list than might actually be relevant to come out for an election are candidates because you're sending more mail. What does the state actually gain by taking people off the voter rolls? I don't know what it is.
1: Brian, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, what is it now? Six years, three election cycles? If you don't vote, you're off the rolls. Why, why should I be denied my registration? Why should I have to prove who I am if I choose not to vote for three elections?
3: Right. Well, proving who we are is a requirement on every single No, no, one no. Of I, us. Mean, I mean saying I no, I'm saying no, I'm being purged
1: I if I don't vote in three elections, have to go back and and say, oh, I need to get back on the rolls. That's really my point. Somebody who
3: gets a postcard at a particular address, the one that's listed on the voter rolls, and they ignore numerous attempts by the State to get them to respond, are not people who are going to go show up and vote on Election Day. They just aren't if you care at all you will get that postcard and for free send it back in
1: which which is what the new law requires at this point okay that's why i was saying there are some protections now the number of these so-called purges is less than the number of people who over this time
3: period have moved out of the state so there is nothing about this number even though it's a large number it's an eye-popping number there's nothing about it that's startling if you really dig into what the facts are and we have to do this, Stacy, because it is integ- integral to the integrity of our elections process. It begins to be unwieldy. It gets to be too much. And it opens us up to possibilities of fraud. Well, fraud well, which Is doesn't... there any
4: example of anybody yeah. showing up to vote that was dead or, or is there moved any, to Michigan? Is,
3: and is there any evidence of somebody showing up to vote? Who was purged? But why do it? It doesn't
4: really make a difference one way or the other. Why are we spending money on it? If it's not suppressing
3: anybody's vote, and it's been upheld by the Supreme Court, why not do it? it So
1: this is an argument we're going to watch unfold clearly in the months ahead, and it's going to be a a, a fascinating one to watch. But tomorrow, Greg says something pretty interesting here. Republican candidates, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, I think you Mm -hmm. also said, Mm -hmm. They're talking now, they're using this, and they will all the way to the debate, and you can bet that there will be a question by a Washington Post or an MSNBC host about this. Tamar, the national media has always written about voter suppression in Georgia ever since 2018 in a more sinister way than the local media, which has watched it on the ground, has. It's not as if reporters, say, at the AJC or GPB radio haven't looked at it and said, yeah, there are some significant problems, but it, the Washington media really has advanced this story as much more sinister. And, and I wonder about whether we're going to see that again moving forward, or do you disagree with my premise?
0: No, I agree with it. And you you saw it during, you know, in media coverage of the governor's race from national publications, a lot of glowing coverage of Stacey Abrams and kind of her, her vision for, um, you know, attracting different types of voters and, and kind of what she was talking about after the election was over as as she was pushing um, you know to get all the all the votes counted and i'm sure we're going to see a lot of these presidential contenders who who come for the november debate try and appear at events with stacey abrams and and talk her up a lot too she's become such a, a national name so not only is it good for their base to associate themselves with her but they're you know everyone is angling for that that endorsement from from abrams although i'm not convinced it's going to come before before the primary
1: okay um Tom Faust, I still need to get a break in, don't I? All right, let's do it right now. Come back with more. This is Political
3: Rewind. My name is Peter Broadhead. My wife and I own Brighter Day Natural Foods Market in Savannah. We've been in business. This will be our 40th year. We are a
1: natural foods market. We've been underwriting with Georgia Public Broadcasting, and it's been very, very effective. We're reaching people that are very thoughtful and just want to get more in-depth
3: information. So when our name comes up, they're in that thinking process, and they're not tuning us out.
0: To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air, my guest will be Sam Esmail, creator, writer, and director of the TV series Mr. Robot, starring Rami Malek as a hacker with dissociative identity disorder. His attempts to save the world are at risk of destroying it. The fourth and final season is underway on the USA Network. Join us.
1: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on 88.5, GPB Atlanta, and gpbnews.org. During the break, during the break, Greg Bluestein was looking at his phone. Everybody at this table is looking at their phones while we're having this <laughs> conversation. It's News astonishing, <laughs> yeah, that you're able to focus, have such a great conversation while you're reading your phones. Greg, what did you see on political? Well, we
2: just mentioned Senator Harris um, in her tweet about Stacey Abrams. Well, she is slashing staff and restructuring her campaign as it's losing cash. She's making an all-out bet for Iowa. Iowa is always going to be a really important. Uh, staging ground for her campaign. Now she's basically redeploying most of her campaign operatives that still exist. They're still on her campaign to Iowa. And if she doesn't do well there, I'm sure she's not going to go
1: well Well, but, you know, it's interesting. So now she slashes staff, but it was after the last debate tomorrow that Kamala Harris announced just that, that she was going to virtually move to Iowa. Uh, but, of course... That's where everybody is right now. All the Democrats know they'd better be in Iowa. Maybe they'll make this quick trip down to Georgia, but they'll be back in Des Moines before you know it. Um, All right. Let me look at a couple other quick things. Uh, Number one, because we're short on time. So, Greg, let me start with you and just sort of give us a little information on it. The lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan. Has announced a campaign that he's putting together, or a program called Advance Georgia. What is it, and what does he hope to accomplish? So, so
2: far, it's raised 300 grand, and it is an effort to defend. And compete for about eight Senate seats. Six of them are Republican-held, so that just shows you the straits that Republicans are, are in right now, trying to defend uh, Metro Atlanta suburban seats that used to be solidly Republican that aren't anymore. And two of them are Democratic seats. One is held by Jen Jordan, who's been on a frequent guest of the show, and the other is held by Zara Karinshak, who's running for Congress, and that's out in Gwinnett County. Um, it's also an effort for him to flex his muscles a little bit. He had he had some run-ins with his own caucus this past year. Um, and this is a way for him to exert some more influence. And I also see it as a pretty big sign that he's not interested in the Senate race either.
1: So yeah. uh, Brian, what I think is interesting about that a story that Bluestein had is, number one, all the attention that's been focused on the Georgia House and yeah. Democratic efforts to pick up and perhaps take the majority in the House. Uh, but the other thing that I thought about is, uh, oh, I bet Jen, that that Jeff Duncan would really love to force Jen Jordan out of the Senate. <laughs> she's been a thorn in the side to Republicans ever since uh, the last session. Well, yeah, you know, I have a lot of respect for her. She's uh, super smart, and
3: um, she's not somebody that you want to want to take on in yeah. a in a rhetorical battle on the floor of the Senate. The reason why the Senate Republicans have six to defend is because they've got 35 out of 56 seats in a state that's pretty close to 50-50. You know, if judging from last election, it's 50.5 versus 49.5. So it's very, very tight. Are you saying there's gerrymandering? (laughs)
4: <laughs> an admission
1: wow, <laughs> that, yeah. wow. Look, the I, smoking gun
4: <laughs> I think
1: there was some really
3: good line drawing done in 2011 I happen to be in the room for it and uh, I, I'm very happy to put up our map against the 2001 Barnes map
1: you know this is really funny so in other words what Brian, say, what Brian is saying is the map it was a perfect map drawing it was perfect it, map drawing much like the president's uh, uh, communications that's
3: with... That's right. Look the at president. the map. His it's per- map. perfect focus. I, I you to the map.
1: It's beautiful. <laughs>
4: I have a question on the article. I, in, unless I missed it, Sally Harrell's seat was not on that list, yeah, which that I thought was, was very interesting. Good point. I, I, is, What, what does, does that me mean for our that's,
1: listeners that's the, who aren't familiar with her?
4: Sally Harrell flipped a seat. She beat uh, Fran Millar, and um, I thought it was very interesting. Maybe they've decided that that one's not worth fighting for.
3: And I was going to bring that up, too, Stacey, because, you know, Fran, the former senator, Who served for twenty years? He had won that seat by ten points Mm -hmm. in twenty sixteen, and then ended up losing it by ten points in twenty eighteen. That's a twenty point swing, which is which is very scary. And we ended up losing a state house seat up there in Dunwoody too, which is the Mm -hmm. northern part of that Senate district. So there was a major swing there. So I think what you're seeing is Duncan and Senate leaders seeing a much Clearer path in the Jin Jordan seat and the Zara Karinchik seat. Now the Zara seat is going to be an open seat, which will make it even more enticing than Jen's seat because Zara is running for the seventh congressional district. So an open seat is one where the party's got to, both parties are going to be a very hungry to get that.
4: Perhaps right. Duncan knows that Jen's seat will be open. Maybe he he anticipates yeah, maybe he that she'll knows be she's going to right? run. For, perhaps she's yeah. going to run I for that the senate. A, I think that yeah. is. Yeah, sort of the she's been sort of, of
1: up in the air, and when we've talked about it, but we'll see um, tomorrow. One of the things that's interesting about all this is to hear the names of candidates for Congress uh, for the House that we've heard today reminds me just how completely talk about impeachment and Trump have buried news about congressional. We're not, nobody is going to get any oxygen trying to run for the House right now, are they? That's going to be a real problem tomorrow. Do we lose tomorrow? I think we lost her. It is a But problem. it is,
2: and, and you can see in fundraising numbers, too, right? You mm-hmm. can see it in the Senate, fundraising numbers that just came out. Um, the Senate candidates, will never say on the record, but, but, but privately, their campaigns are saying it's hard to get attention in this atmosphere when everything is Trump, Trump, mm-hmm. Trump, and yeah. impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. And imagine
4: how hard it's going to be for the poor folks running for state legislative seats.
3: Yeah, uh, but even they – you, and you will see this on, on Twitter and in your mailbox – Those people, Democrats and Republicans, their messages will be about Trump, pro-Trump or anti, the same, because that's all anybody talks about.
1: All right. Anybody who says that this show isn't fair and balanced should remember that on this show, it was Brian who got the last word, a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> we are completely out of time. Tamar Hallerman, uh, Stacy Evans, Brian Robinson, Greg Blustein, thanks for a really terrific conversation. We're off tomorrow, but we're back on Friday with a brand new show. Hope to see you then.